I was watching something on Fox News the other night, and Raymond Arroyo, some of you may have seen him before, he went to the streets of New York City to see how many people knew the true meaning of Good Friday. Did anybody see that? I did. And out of all those people he interviewed, only two people, or there was a couple and one more, only, only two interviews out of all those he interviewed knew that Good Friday was the day that Jesus died on the cross. Now that's really sad that, that only two knew. And, and I'm afraid that if Raymond went to other cities, the results might be the same. Even though today, through technology, the gospel, the news of Jesus, is preached around the world, I believe today there are more people who don't know Jesus than ever before. And that's why I believe we need to pray so grow to introduce our world to the Savior who died on the cross and rose from the dead to give us forgiveness and eternal life in His kingdom. It's like the little story I read. It said a children's Easter play was in the stage of preparation. The director was supervising the cast to make certain that each child would feel comfortable with his or her assigned role. Well, one young boy was offered a speaking part, but he turned it down. He said, I would rather play the part of the stone guarding the entrance to Jesus' tomb. Well, the play went well. And when it was over, the director asked the boy if he had been happy with his non-speaking part. Why in the world did you want to play the part of the stone? The director asked with a big smile. The boy replied, because letting Jesus out of the tomb really felt good. You know, friends, it's time for us to let Jesus out of the tomb. Or at least let his message out of the tomb where we've been keeping it. It's time to tell this world about Jesus and how he gave everything for us so that we could live. So that we could live in his kingdom. So we could have a kingdom resurrection and that's what I want to talk with you about beginning today I'm going to be talking about how how Jesus will bring his kingdom to earth in the days ahead but today we're going to look at the Easter story again I'll be in Matthew 28 I'm also going to look some at Mark 15 if you want to put your hand there in the place in the Bible and I'll have the verses on the screen for you to make it easy for you but I want to share with you this message I've entitled pray so grow kingdom resurrection Matthew 28. If you don't mind, if you're able and willing, let's stand and honor God's Word as we look at this beautiful story again from Matthew chapter 28. And let me read it to you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, what day is the Sabbath? Saturday. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. Just like today. As it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and, her, and, and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, he is not here for what? He is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, in heaven for the opportunity to gather in your name and worship you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us and for rising from the dead and for making a place for us in your kingdom so that one day we will see you face to face. One day we'll be reunited with those people who loved you, who went before us, our dear grandmothers and grandfathers and mamas and daddies and brothers and sisters and children and grandchildren who died, who knew you, Lord. 
one day we'll be gathered together. The family circle will not be unbroken again when we gather in that place. And Lord Jesus, it's all because of those three words. He is risen. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead to give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. In what was the most important week in history, the Lord Jesus suffered, bled, and died on a Roman cross for the sins of the world. Jesus died for the world so that every person who has ever been born would have the opportunity to enter God's kingdom. Now, the only way to enter that kingdom is to have life, His life, His resurrection life within us. We have to be forgiven of our sins and transformed through a spiritual resurrection ourselves in order to enter His kingdom. Now that only happens when we put our faith and trust in the only Savior, Jesus Christ. Unless we have that kingdom resurrection within our hearts, we can never enter God's kingdom. And according to Jesus, to be rejected from God's kingdom means an eternity of punishment. An eternity in agony where there is darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth and the knowledge that we rejected our only Savior. So where the cross meant terrible agony and suffering and death, so the empty tomb means eternal hope and has risen for mankind. All who put their faith and trust in Jesus will rise with Him. And that's what I want to speak of this morning as we look at the beautiful Easter story again, and what it means to all die to our sin and live by His resurrection life. Now, the resurrection morning is the culmination of the most important week in the history of mankind, the Passion Week of Jesus. There would not have been an empty tomb if there had not been a cross. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as people shouted, Blessed is the King, the name of the Lord was so important. On that day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, all the hopes of the people were centered on Jesus. In that multitude king, there were the blind who made to see, the deaf who were made to hear, the lame who were made to walk, the demon-possessed who had been set free, the hungry who had been fed. On that road, hundreds or even thousands of people were proclaiming that Jesus was king. They wanted so much to believe that Jesus was their long-awaited promised Messiah, their deliverer. Their hopes were in Jesus. To Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, but then it would disappear on Good Friday when they saw their king crucified on a Roman cross. They did not understand far more important than being delivered from a physical enemy was to be delivered from the ultimate enemy, which is eternal death. The many today do not understand that the goal is not peace in an earthly kingdom, but life in an eternal kingdom, the eternal kingdom of God. Jesus knew that. He had spent three years with His disciples trying to teach them that truth, kingdom truth, to teach them how to be part of God's kingdom. And Jesus took the cross to get us into that kingdom. So on Thursday of that week, Jesus declared Himself to be the Passover lamb with that last supper. That night, He prayed in the garden. He or if there's any other way that they could be saved, let this cup pass for me. But there was no other way. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, he prayed. Judas led a band of soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane and arrested him. He went before the religious, religious leaders and the political leaders. He, he was arrested. He was led, taken eventually to the Roman procurator, the Roman authority, Pontius Pilate who sentenced him to crucifixion. We see in Matthew 27, verses 27 through 30, the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, stripped him and put a robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on Jesus and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. Crucifixion. Horrible way to die. 
It was not invented by the Romans, but we might say it was perfected by the Romans. At the praetorium, Jesus was severely flogged or scourged. Scourging was the act of whipping with a specially designed whip made of several single or braided leather strips of various lengths in which small iron balls or sharp pieces of sheep bone were, were interspersed along the strips. Scourging was called the half-death because about approximately half the people who were scourged died. The Jews only allowed 39 lashes with the scourge because, according to their law, if a man were beaten beyond 39 lashes, he was declared dead. The Romans, on the other hand, used several soldiers, lictors, and would sometimes literally beat a man to death. For scourging, the man was stripped of his clothing, and his hands were tied to an upright post. His back and legs were flogged either by two soldiers or by one who, or by one who alternated positions. The scourging was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, the, the iron balls in the strips would bruise the flesh and raise the flesh while the barb-like uh, bone would rip the flesh. But the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the back and the skin opened up and bled and bled as the flogging continued. Lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce a quivering of raw, bleeding flesh. That's what Jesus endured. His back ripped open, blood pouring from his wounds. As I said, many times a victim would not survive the brutal beating, but Jesus did survive because Jesus knew there was more he had to do to pay for the horrible crimes that you and I have committed against God. The prophet Isaiah said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, with his stripes, we are healed. It's important for us to remember that with every lash that ripped open the flesh of his back, Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. The blood didn't just run from the cross, from the holes in his hands and feet. The blood flowed from the crown of thorns in his head, from the lacerations on his back. He bled and bled because Jesus' blood was paying the price for the sins of you and of me and of every person who has ever been born. Jesus bled and bled because he was giving it all. He was giving every ounce of his blood paying the price for our salvation with His blood. A price that was so great. Even one sin that we commit against God keeps, can keep us out of the kingdom of God. One sin is enough in the, in the sight of a holy God for Him to banish us forever from His kingdom. That's why Jesus shed His blood so that we might be forgiven. Peter said, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter said, some people think they could buy their way into heaven. Some people think they could pray for someone else and that prayer would be enough to get them into heaven. Some people think the water of baptism will get them into heaven. Some people think that by taking of the wine and the bread every week that will get them into heaven. Friends, the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can get us into heaven. It's the only thing. That's why the suffering and death of Jesus had to be so great. Because the sin of mankind was so great. Now after the horrible beating... After the soldiers mocked him, spat upon him, and crowned him with thorns, they placed a cross upon his bleeding back and forced him to carry it through the streets of Jerusalem in shame. John wrote, and he, bearing his cross, went out to the place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew Golgotha. Now the cross 
was characterized by two, with two pieces, uh, an upright post called a stipes and a horizontal crossbar, crossbar called a patibulum. Together they weighed over 300 pounds. The condemned man's arms were tied to the patibulum, and he carried that through that crossbar, which weighed about 100 pounds. He carried it from the flogging post to the site of crucifixion outside the city. The procession to the site of crucifixion was led by a complete military guard headed by a centurion, a Roman centurion. One of the soldiers carried a sign upon which the condemned man's name and crime were displayed. Later, the sign would be attached to the top of the cross. The Roman guard would not leave the vic- victim. The Roman guards would not leave the victim until they were sure that he had died. Now, Jesus was so weak from his brutal torture and blood loss that as he carried the crossbar, he fell beneath the weight of it. Mark tells us in Mark 15, Then they compelled a certain man, Simon of Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought Jesus to the place of Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Outside the city walls stood the heavy upright posts where Rome would crucify its, her victims. That's where the patibulum would, would be placed. Sometimes the patibulum had a hole in the center of it and would fit over the top of the post of the stipes. To prolong the crucifixion process, a horizontal block or plank serving as a crude seat, we don't have it on our cross, but it was placed about halfway up the cross, a place where it could kind of sit while they were hanging there. You see, crucifixion was not designed to be a fast death. Crucifixion was designed to be a slow, agonizing death. They wanted their victims to stay alive and suffer because crucifixion was reserved for for crimes against Rome, reserved for those who had committed treason against the Roman Empire. So Jesus went, carried that patibulum out to outside the walls of Jerusalem, out to that hill, Golgotha. In Latin, it's Calvaria. That's why we call it Calvary. And it was he carried it up there. Now, when he got there, at the side of the crucifixion, by Roman law, the victim had to be given a bitter drink of wine mixed with myrrh or gall as a mild pain reliever. A Roman soldier would fill the sponge with the mixture and and hold it up to Jesus' lips. But according to the Scriptures, he refused it. Jesus was then thrown to the ground on his back with his arms outstretched along the crossbar. Tapered iron spikes, approximately five to nine inches long, were driven through behind the hands through the wrist. And then on the crossbar, then the crossbar and the victim with his ropes tied around his hands and the nails holding him to the cross, was lifted up to be placed over the stipes, over the post. Now, it is said that when the body was lifted on that crossbar, that the spikes going through the wrist severed the medial nerve, and it felt like lightning struck the victim, and the victim would convulse. Once he was there... His feet were nailed to the cross. And sometimes in Roman crucifixion, they nailed two nails through the sides of the cross. But in Jesus' instance, they nailed them right through the front, through both bones, with a long spike. After the cross was raised, a sign was attached by nails or cords just above his head. Mark Mark again tells us, now it was the third hour, Mark 15. 1525, it was the third hour. Remember the third hour? uh, First hour starts at 6 a.m. The third hour is at 9 a.m. It was the third hour and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above. They put a sign up. The king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers. One on his right hand and the other on his left. 
So the scripture was fulfilled which said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. So all the miracles, the blind made to see, the lame to walk, the dead brought to life, thousands fed and healed and still, these wicked Jewish leaders would not believe, but continued to mock Jesus and curse Jesus because they did not know Jesus. They did not want to know Jesus. They only wanted their power. But one man, an unlikely man, a Roman centurion, saw something on the cross that changed his life. Perhaps a centurion, I'm sure it was, that led Jesus to that place. Mark 15, verse 39. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, from twelve to noon to three on Friday. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, 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 lama sabachthani? which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a, a sponge full of sour, sour wine, put on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite saw, saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last breath, he said, Truly, read it with me, Truly, this man was the Son of God. The Roman centurion saw the cross of Christ and believed. So many doubters, but one believer. Friends, we are all there. We're all there. Look at the cross, the jealous Jews, the brutal soldiers, the repentant sinner, the believing Gentile. Look at the cross. We were all there, all guilty, all needing that Savior. Jesus on the cross is that Savior, the only Savior. And one day, I, as a little boy, looked at that cross. And like that Roman centurion, I believed and Jesus came into my heart. That's what the cross means to me. Jesus died for me so I could die to myself and die to my sin and live forever in His kingdom. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And if we follow Jesus, we'll, live, we'll follow Him all the way into His kingdom where we can live with Him in, with life forever. That's the story of Jesus' death. A story of sadness and suffering and sorrow, of kingdom sacrifice. But today I'm so glad that that cross is not the end of the story. That horrible death, all the blood, all the life draining from His body was not the end for Jesus. And that means death is not the end for me or for you who believe the cross led to an empty tomb. Now we're in Matthew chapter 28. The cross, the darkness of, the, of that day led to the, the light of the first day of resurrection. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Let's stop that for just a minute. The terrible suffering of the cross was followed by the glorious victory of the empty tomb. The tomb of Jesus probably looked like this. A cave with a stone to seal that opening. Uh, it's the stone set in, a, set in a track, which could be rolled in front of the opening. It was a massive stone. It could have weighed anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 pounds. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and perhaps others, had witnessed the horrible crucifixion of Jesus. The Bible tells us they watched Him be crucified and die. Their hearts were broken as they saw their Savior in agony, slowly, as the life slowly left His body. Filled with grief, these women followed Joseph as he took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with white linen and laid it in his new tomb. It was Friday evening, and the Sabbath, Saturday, was upon them when no work could be done. Back in Luke 
23, it says, The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed after following His body. And they observed the tomb and how His body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath on Saturday, according to the commandment. But then on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. It was daybreak when the women came to the tomb bringing those spices they had prepared for the body of Jesus. See, the Jews did not embalm their dead. So the spices they prepared were to try to mitigate the smell of the corpse. Mark wrote... Mark 16, 3, And they sat among themselves as they were on their way to the tomb. Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? It is important. We need to think about what was happening here. It is important for us to understand that these women, what they expected when they made their trip to the tomb of Jesus. They brought spices to anoint a decaying body. They were concerned about the huge stone blocking the door. Here's the point. These women, disciples of Jesus, who had watched Him die, who had followed Jesus, who had watched Him, you know, who had seen Him buried, all they expected to see on that first day of the week was a dead Jesus. That's all. What of the other disciples? Peter, James, John, Thomas. What? Those strong men who had followed Jesus, who had watched Him calm a storm at sea, who had seen Him walk on water, who had been part of feeding, a few, uh, feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of, of bread and fish, who had seen Him heal thousands of people, seen Him raise the dead. How did they feel? about the resurrection promise of Jesus. Remember, before Sunday, Jesus about His death and resurrection. Notice Matthew 20. Jesus going up to Jerusalem, the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes. They will condemn Him to death and deliver Him to the Gentiles to mock Him and crucify Him, and the third day He will rise again. Hey, he promised. He told them. How much plainer could Jesus have made it? He told them exactly what was going to happen. He told His faithful disciples and Judas that He was going to be crucified and then rise again on the third day. I'm sure they, I'm sure they could add, Jesus said, I'm going to die on the first day. I'm going to rise on the third day. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He died on Friday. They saw it. It was Sunday. Shouldn't they have been expecting him to rise? Well, let's go to the tomb and see. Matthew 28, 1 through 7. And after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said He would do. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And indeed, He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. The women came expecting a dead body. But they found a shining angel from heaven. They were met with surprise. The angel knew what had happened. He said to the women, I know why you've come here. You came expecting to see the body of the crucified Jesus, but He is not here, for He is risen as He said He would. So, verses 8 through 10, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring His disciples' word. And as they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, my disciples, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The angel sent those ladies with the good news. And they carried the first gospel message to the world. 
To whom did they share the message? To whom did they sow the good seeds, the kingdom seeds of the gospel? First, they first shared them with the disciples. The disciples who had been with Jesus. And I want you to notice there in Luke chapter 24. Then they returned from the tomb. They told all these things to the elect all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother and the other women with them who told these things, these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idols. Are you with me? And they did not believe. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down... He saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. Jesus had told him it would happen. At least three or four women gave them the angel of heaven. Still, they did not believe. Friends, to me, this is a picture of the world in which I live. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive today, but to the world, Jesus is dead. This culture has become so corrupt. And so lost, it will not accept the truth of a living Christ. Jesus is the only Savior of this world, and yet He is dead to most of the people of this world. In other words, people just don't want Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't want to hear about Jesus. But even sadder to me is the fact that most Christians today don't really believe what Jesus said. That's right. Jesus told us that He would die on the cross, that He would rise from the dead, and that one day He would come again and bring His kingdom. He told us, while you're waiting on me to bring my kingdom, you go and you take my message to the world, sow kingdom seeds wherever you go. So why are Christians today so quiet about Jesus? Is it because we don't really expect Him to come again, just like those disciples didn't expect Him to rise again? All around the country, there are people who pray. They're praying today in church, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But they don't believe. They don't believe it. They don't believe it will happen. Some people will get religion at this time of year. They will try to live better. But then they forget the reason Jesus appeared to those disciples. They forget that the reason Jesus appeared to those disciples was so that they could go into their world and teach and preach and proclaim the good news that Jesus has died for our sins and has risen from the dead to save us. Folks, His resurrection made them witnesses of the truth that He's alive. And your Salvation experience you. Jesus. And that's our kingdom principle today. Read it with me. Kingdom principle. The resurrection of Jesus is good news to those who hear it and believe it. news to me. To me, it's the best news ever. There's nothing better. No one could tell me anything better than this news. That Jesus died on the cross for me. That He rose from the dead. And if I ask Him to be my Savior, He'll be my Savior forever. Is that good news to, do, to you? Amen? Now that's the news this world needs to hear. Because how many... When you turn on the... Listen, just, just answer me. When you turn on the TV today, or the radio, or internet, or whatever, do you hear more or more bad What do you hear? The world needs some good news today. And you are the only ones who can give it to them because we're of it. This world has become filled, so filled with godlessness. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I believe the because the modern disciples of Jesus, we have failed to keep telling the message. Word. Your mama, your grandma, somebody told you that message when you were little. That's why you're a Christian. Most of you. But today Christians, will, they'll have a, a social gospel. They'll talk about social and tell people why we do what we do. Folks, 
Why dig wells overseas? Support people who are overseas uh, sharing the gospel. Why do we pay, we pay for a live stream and a place to share the gospel through technology? Why do we do these things? Why? We need to tell people why we do them. We need to let people know. Why do we go to disaster relief and, and feed people and help people and clean up their mess after a disaster comes through and destroys their lives? Why do we do these things? We do it because we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today and we want those people to see Jesus in us. We've got to start talking about Jesus again. We've got to start telling the world why we do what we do. And let me tell you something, folks. I want to just tell you that in this world today in which we live, there's a whole lot of people proclaiming news. I mean, they are. I just recently, I mean, just so many protest every day i mean we look on it's protest everybody's protesting and people are protesting they're protesting things i i just turned on tv the other day there was a, a lgbtq protest later protest there was a climate change changer protest i all i was just counting the protests speaking out loudly and let's face it there's a lot of hatred being spewed right then when he speaks out for what is right and holy, the Christian is labeled a hate, labeled hate speech. That's right. Called intolerant. I want to tell you something, folks. Listen, church, we've got to stand up again, really. Christians, we have to stand for, our, for Jesus to try to stand right. That's the only way we're going to do it. I'm, I want to tell you what I believe with all my heart. It don't matter who you are, no matter what your political... What, what nationality, what race, what, just listen, here's this, a truth that I believe about evil. Read with me. Good people should never be tolerant of evil. That's right. Jesus didn't tolerate evil. He didn't tolerate it. He didn't say, it's okay. Did Jesus do that anywhere in the Bible? It's okay. The woman caught in adultery, he told her, go and sin no more. All that corruption in the temple, he drove it out. Jesus did not tolerate evil, and neither should we. Jesus taught us to love people and help people. And let me tell you that the best thing you could ever do to show people love is to, to teach them the truth of a Savior who loves them and died to forgive them and rose to save them Teach them that there's life in Jesus Christ. We've got to let people know about our faith. You can't hide your faith in the closet anymore. This is why our children are in such risk today. It's a toxic world, toxic culture. Now, let me tell you, as you go in your world and you try to do something for Jesus and say something for Jesus and sow some kingdom seeds, as you go out there, some, some, some people... People, their hearts are evil and hard. Hearts that don't want a living Savior. And there are people, listen, there's no use in trying to convince such people, evil people about Jesus. There's no reason. Jesus talked about also about casting your pearls before swine. Just remember that. Don't cast your pearls before swine. If they will not hear, if they are hate Christ-haters, just give them the truth and leave them alone. But as we live out our Christian witness before others, and we say what we can when we, when we can. Let me tell you what will happen. Some people, some people will appreciate what you say. And they will respond with joy. Like the people I drive up and I say, hey, can I have my bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit there at McDonald's? And I go through the drive through window and the, the ladies there, I see, I see her a lot. And at this one McDonald's I go to and I go through there and say, I hope you have a day. She always me with a smile she said thank you i hope you have a blessed day too okay and then i go up to the other and there's this guy and i'm sad and everything and you know like i wish i wasn't here today you know i said hey man thanks so much for this i hope you have a really blessed day today he let cracks a smile he says thank you sir uh, i've never had anybody where i pull up have a blessed i don't want to hear i've never had that happen to me not ever I've been out on the streets witnessing, trying to get people to accept Jesus, and I've had people say, I really don't want to hear that. I don't believe in it. Okay, fine. 
Yeah, that's between you and God. I'm sorry. I got somebody else. Friends, there are so many people that want to see your faith, but they want to hear why you are doing what you're doing. Just say something for Jesus. As we give ourselves to Jesus, as we give Him our hearts, our doubts, our sins, He knows what to do to cleanse us and save, and save us. When the stone of unbelief rolls away from our hearts and Jesus comes to live within us, He brings a resurrection to us. He transforms our spiritual death into everlasting life. So when we truly hear and believe in the risen Christ, we have a kingdom We have a kingdom resurrection as Jesus comes to rule and reign in our hearts and lives. And if Jesus, listen, if He's truly ruling and reigning in our lives, then life for us is going to be different. It is. A kingdom resurrection means not only a new hope, a new joy. It means a new joy, a new peace, and a reason to live. Paul said, I have been, let's make this our testimony today. Read it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's a good verse to memorize. Since I've believed in the risen Christ, Paul said, since I've believed in the risen Christ, I don't live by my own power nor for my own purposes, but I now live for Jesus. Can you say that today? Can you say that you're so grateful for what Jesus did for you, that the story of the cross, His suffering, and death has gripped you so much, that the empty tomb with His glorious resurrection has made such a difference in your life that you want to die to your own selfish ambitions and you want to live every day to honor Jesus? That's what He wants us to do. He's not asking us to die on a cross for Him. He's asking us to take up our cross and do what we're supposed to do and keep our faith in Him and our Christian witness in the things we say and do, even when the most times come, then our faith doesn't, doesn't fall. And that's what Jesus wants us to do. That in the middle of all the people around us, we keep following Jesus no matter what. The people around you need to see that. And as you follow Him, as you display the power of His resurrection in you, it will make a difference. In some who will receive that, will receive those kingdom seeds and will come to know your Savior. We just, how much, we just need to show others today how much Jesus means to us and how much we believe that He loves them and wants to save them. Because even those people that really are the most evil of all, Jesus wants to save them. Even us people who are misguided and misinformed and living an evil life, Jesus wants to save them because He loves them. And like these first people who saw the empty tomb and the risen Christ, so we must live our faith because we know He's alive, don't we? How do I know He lives? How do you know He lives? Because He lives where? In my heart. Near Mobile, Alabama, there was a railroad bridge that spanned a big bayou. The date was September 22, 1993. It was a foggy morning just before daybreak when a tugboat accidentally pushed a barge into the bayou. The drifting barge slammed into the bridge. In the darkness, no one could see the extent of the damage, but someone on the tugboat radioed the Coast Guard And moments later, an Amtrak train, the Sunset Limited, reached that bridge as it traveled from Los Angeles to Miami. Unaware of the damage, the train crossed the bridge at 70 miles per hour. There were 210 passengers on board. As the way the train crossed the damage to the port, the bridge gave way. The the three locomotive units and the first four of the train's eight passenger cars fell into the alligator-infested bayou. The darkness and fog was thickened by fire and smoke. Six miles from land, the victims lay as food for those alligators. Helicopters were called in to help rescue the victims. They were able to save 163 people. One rescue stands out. Jerry and Mary Chansey were, were, were waiting in the rail car with their 11, riding in the rail car with their 11-year-old daughter. And when the car shifted, 
when it went into the water and then it shifted and began to rapidly fill with water. They were waiting for rescue. But all of a sudden it began to fill up with water and there was only one thing they could do. They took their young daughter and pushed her through a window into the hands of a rescuer as their car sunk and they died in a watery grave. What a picture of our salvation, especially when you know that their daughter was imperfect by the the world's standards. She was born with cerebral palsy, and she needed help with even the most routine of things. But she was precious to her parents, so precious, and they were willing to give up their lives so that she could live. Folks, that's what the cross and the empty tomb means for us today. We are imperfect Lives filled with mistakes and misjudgments, sin and helplessness. We are spiritually crippled, helpless to save ourselves and enter God's kingdom. But to Jesus, you are precious. You are so precious. All that He did, all His suffering and death, even His resurrection, it was for you. Jesus died and rose again to give you a kingdom resurrection to all who will believe. So today, do you believe? And are you running with that good news to help others find your living Savior? The tomb is empty, folks. But my question is, is your heart filled with Jesus? Let's bow. As I told you at the beginning, I wanted to encourage you, but I wanted to challenge you. And my question is, What difference is the cross and the empty tomb making in your life today? You might be here and you say, Well, preacher, a long time ago, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Well, that's great. But my question is, what difference is the cross and empty tomb making in your life today? Is Jesus in charge of your life? Jesus is alive. But are you certain that He's alive in you? If not, today's your day to receive Him for real into your life. He'll change everything. When Jesus comes in, He changes everything, folks. Why don't you pray with me and really mean it and say, Dear Jesus, today You have spoken to me and You have helped me see Just how much I need you. I need you more than anything, Jesus. I thank you for dying on the cross and shedding your blood and suffering for me. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. They are many. Please forgive me for all the sins in my past, my present, and even my future. And today, I ask you to come into my life as my living Savior. I want you to fill my emptiness. I want you to rule and reign on the throne of my heart and life. And today, I accept you as my only Savior. And I make a solemn promise to you, Jesus, that I will no longer live for myself but I will live for you who gave your life for me. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, then something real has happened in you. And as you live now, you have to live every day for His honor. You need a church. You need to be in a church where you can hear God's Word and be encouraged by it and challenged by it. You need to to try to surround yourself with Christian people to encourage you. And you need to let your faith be seen. Let your light shine around those who don't know Jesus. Maybe you're a Christian, but you need to take the, the next step. You've accepted Jesus. He's come into your life. and But you need to Be baptized, because when you go under that water and come out, that's like Jesus died and rose again. You show people that you accept 
Jesus' death and resurrection as your own. That, that you have decided to live for Jesus now. And that's what the water baptism means. It don't save you. It just is a symbol. And maybe you need to do that when we're singing. If you want to come down and say, Pastor, I'd like to be baptized. We'll, I'll help you with that. We'll work that out. Maybe you need to join this church. God's brought you here. You know that. Maybe you just need to get back in church. Whatever it is that God is wanting you to do, that's between you and God. Let Him speak to you today and do something. Do something that He wants you to do. Respond to Him. Maybe there's something in you, some habit, some worry, some sin that needs to die so that you can live in Jesus' resurrection power. Today's the day to lay that down. You might want to pray at an altar and just say, well, I'm going to just symbolically bring that to, down to the front. The cameras will be off. And all you have to do is just come down. Just, I mean, if you want to pray, just put it down. Say, okay, God, this is it. Or where you are, you can pray. But say, God, I'm just laying this down. I'm not, when I leave this place, it's going, it's going to stay here. Lord, I don't know what you said to people. There's a lot of people here today. But whatever it is, Lord, I pray every one of us will do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing, Brother Steve. Stand with us as we sing, Only Trust Him. Come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest By trusting in His Word Only trust Him, only trust Him Only trust Him now